The following is audio from The Refuge Church. Every sermon is an invitation to understand, obey, and enjoy God. More information about The Refuge Church is available at therefugechurch.us. In each one of us is a deep, inherent longing to be home, a place of peace and security. Home is the place we finally belong, but the road back home is often long and dangerous. The people of God would sing these psalms of ascent as they traveled toward Jerusalem to worship God. We now learn these songs as we travel together to the new Jerusalem. We are still on our way home. We are longing for a better country, a heavenly one. We believe that home is found only with God. God has invited us to come, and these songs are for the journey. Let's pray. Father, again, I thank you for these psalms, and I thank you for your word that is living and active and even though written hundreds of years ago, it's eternal and it meets us right where we're at and where our need is with who you are um, in all of your amazingness as our God. So Father, teach us, I pray, again this morning through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. How many of you have had a, a, a life-changing experience? Uh, something that rocked your world and ended up just dominating your thinking during the day, your dreams at night, ended up affecting the conversations you had, the way you thought about the future, how you spent your time, your money, maybe even change the way you ate. Um, I can think of two such experiences in my past uh, that did just that to me. The first was I was driving home from Green Hills Juvenile Prison um, from visiting someone, in case you were wondering. Um, (laughs) In Centralia, <laughs> um, I was actually in McNeil. No, I'm um, uh, kind of heading north on Highway 101 out of Centralia, uh, and a car swerved into my lane, uh, causing me to swerve out of control. Uh, to avoid him, began spinning around. The only thing going through my mind as I was spinning around, uh, and I was going the speed limit, we'll assume that, um, was I was just waiting for the impact when I would die. Um, In case you were wondering, I didn't. Um, I came to a stop upside down, hanging from my seatbelt, Uh, I saw my phone, which would have been on the roof of the car, so I picked up my phone and immediately called my wife and said they were eating dinner at the time, and I said, don't worry, I'm I'm okay, but I'm hanging upside down. 
in our car. It's exciting being married to me. Um, uh, you know, physically, I came out of the accident unscathed. I nothing physically, uh, no physical injuries, but uh, I was unaware of how it would impact me mentally and emotionally for weeks, for months. Um, I was a wreck. Uh, some of you would say I'm a wreck all the time, but anyway. uh, but it dominated me. Um, out of the blue, I'd be sitting and I'd just break down crying uh, as just the thoughts of the accident and what I thought was impending death just overwhelmed me. I dreamt about it at night. I thought about it during the day. Um, it affected me. It, it dominated my life. A few years after that, uh, just to give Cindy a little breather, um, we were riding bicycles uh, from our house, uh, kind of a familiar route that led to the water. Uh, if you haven't done it, gorgeous drive along Tracet and Beach Road. Uh, we were riding bicycles, and as was typical back then, uh, for years, uh, beginning riding bikes or running or any kind of uh, strenuous exercise, I just had intense chest pain, um, which after a few miles subsided and eventually went away. On this particular day, though, it didn't go away. It just got worse, got more intense. I Pain went down my left arm. I got nauseous. Um, and we decided that we should call an ambulance, um, which we did, brought me to the hospital. The next day, I had a heart stent put in, and the following day I was released from the hospital. Uh, that was 10 years ago. Uh, what I didn't realize was, again, how that would just dominate my life, affect my life for months and years as it affected my diet. I was really, you know, reduced to only three donuts a day. Um, I, but a, a low-fat, low-cholesterol, pretty much low-everything diet, um, beginning to just build my strength up, you know, walking once around the block, twice around the block. Uh, it affected my life. Um, question, what would it be like if God dominated our thinking and our living in such a way? <laughs> Where we had such an impactful relationship with God and a view of who our God is, that it would so dominate our thinking and our living. We're dominated by things, aren't we? Our finances, our health, our, our jobs, our schooling, our relationships, things that just dominate us and impact us. What if it was God who so dominated our thinking? Well, that's going to be the what we're looking at. It's a, a wonderful psalm. Psalm 128, we're going to read it, and then we're going, to, we're going to talk about it. It says, blessed, and you could put the word happy or joyful, are all who fear the Lord, who walk in obedience to him. You will eat the fruit of your labor, meaning as a result of fearing the Lord and walking in obedience to him, you will eat the fruit of your labor, blessings and Prosperity will be yours. 
Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Yes, this will be the blessing for the man who fears the Lord. And then it ends with a prayer. May the Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you live to see your children's children peace beyond Israel. It's the question I want, us, want you to think about as we look at this psalm. What dominates your thinking? Now, for some of you right now, it's that you're hoping I don't preach too long so your roast doesn't burn in the oven. Um, for others of you, you've come and the pressures of life or something that has rocked your world is what's dominating you this morning. What is it that dominates your thinking? I think what we're going to see as we look at this psalm is that joyful living results from God-dominated thinking. Joyful living results from God-dominated thinking. So how do we get that from Psalm 128? It's this first phrase. It says, blessed are all who fear the Lord. What does it mean to fear the Lord? I think for some, uh, maybe you, you initially read that phrase and it's like, Blessed are all who are afraid of the Lord. <laughs> uh, that's not what it means. Blessed are all who fear the Lord. What does it mean? Um, the point is that someone who fears the Lord is someone who lives their life in response to who God is. Someone who lives their life in response to who God is. I think for me, the best illustration is in Genesis 22. So we're going to read it if you'd follow along. It's the story of God calling Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac, and which rocked Abraham's world, and it rocked Isaac's world. Isaac was the promised one, the one, in, as it says in Genesis chapter 12, the one in whom all the families of the earth would be blessed. He's the promised one. He's the one that that the Messiah, Jesus, is going to come through and God is telling Abraham, take him and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. I, uh, I guarantee you that was a hard night for Abraham. <laughs> he didn't sleep much that night. Um, but what we see in the following verses is incredible and we have so much to learn from. It says, early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. It's just that blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in obedience to him. Abraham had come to the point to where he, he knew his God and he could trust him. So he said, verse four, on the third day, Abraham looked up and he saw the place in the distance and he said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. This is a, such a great verse. He says, we will worship and then we will come back to you. Man, isn't that amazing? 
Uh, in fact, in Hebrews chapter 11, it says, by faith, Abraham, when he heard what God asked him to do, knew that even if God were to have him sacrifice Isaac, he would raise Isaac from the dead. So incredible had he come to know his God and trust him. Dominated by who God was. Verse six, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac and he himself carried the fire and the knife and as the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up. Isaac's oblivious to what is going on but this is gonna rock his world. He says, father, Abraham says, yes, my son, the fire and the wood are here but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. And when they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there. He arranged the wood on it and then he bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And at this point, we've, we've got to see Isaac's incredible trust in his father because Isaac is over 13 years old. He's a strapping young teenager. Abraham is over 113 years old. He's not a spring chicken. Um, there's no way he could have bound Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of that wood if, if Isaac hadn't have trusted him and, and willingly allowed himself to be put there. And yet he doesn't know what's going on. Then he reached out his hand. This is Abraham. He took the knife to slay his son. Incredible. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from, from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him because now I know that you fear God. I mean, you, Abraham, you have come to, and Abraham went through a lot of rough stuff. I mean, twice he, he asked Sarah to say she was his sister so he didn't get killed. <laughs> uh, but this walk of faith has brought him to the point to where he so knows his God. He's so dominated in his thinking by who God is that he, he goes through with this knowing that he can trust God. Man, do we... Are we so dominated? Can we so trust and hope in our God? Because now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. And Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and he sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Kind of the culmination of this story is in Genesis 31, 42. It, it gives us, I think, kind of the ongoing story as, as Isaac laying on the altar that day and experienced what he did. and Kind of the, the terror of God, his absolute sovereignty that he was God and he could ask what he wanted. His jealousy that, that he would allow nothing to take his place. And so I think in a sense asking Abraham, do you love Isaac more than you love me? God's holiness that would 
require Abraham to this whole burnt offering, the only offering that was wholly burnt up to say, God, everything is yours. I'm yours. Every bit of me is yours. Isaac is yours. And for, Abr- for Isaac to get that glimpse of his, of his father and his relationship with God and this God that then was faithful as his father said, we will worship and we will return. And so he saw the faithfulness of his God and, and then as God himself provided the lamb. Man, what a beautiful picture of our God, isn't it? His holiness, his righteousness, not being able to, to look on sin and yet in his mercy and his compassion himself taking our sin on himself on the cross so that we could be righteous. We could have his righteousness. That's our God. Does that thinking, that God dominate our thinking? Deuteronomy 10, 12. Well, actually, before we go from 31, I guess I didn't read it. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac, that's how Isaac's God was known from that day forward. This God who he feared, who who he knew in a way that rocked his world as holy and righteous and yet compassionate and provider for him. This is Jacob speaking this as it passed on from Isaac to his the further generations, the fear of Isaac. Um, Deuteronomy 10.12 says, Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you? What does he ask of us? but to fear the Lord, to walk in obedience to him, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. God is looking for God-dominated individuals, individuals wanting to love him and serve him and walk in all his ways with all their heart and all their souls. What a difference it makes in our lives. Isaiah 8, 12 and 13 I love this verse because it, notice it says, don't call conspiracy everything this people calls a conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear. Do not dread it. That is so good. Isn't it so easy for us to just fear what other people fear? (laughs) We don't have to. The Lord Almighty is the one we are to regard as holy. He's the one we're to fear. He's the one we're to dread. Because if we're dominated by who he is, yeah, he's, He's holy and he's righteous and he's sovereign. But he's also this incredibly compassionate and gracious and merciful God who, who went to the cross so that we could have a relationship with a holy God by paying for our sins, by being our provider like he did on the mount for Isaac. He's done that for us on the cross. We don't need to fear what other people fear. If God dominates our thinking, the things that dominate other people's thinking don't need to dominate us. Does God dominate us so? Is our thinking impacted by who he is? He's creator, sovereign Lord of the universe, holy, just, righteous, jealous, good, kind, merciful, compassionate, our Savior. Um, 
C.T. Studd, missionary to Africa, one of my favorite quotes, he said, if Jesus is really God and he really died on the cross, there's nothing too great we shouldn't be willing to do for him, right? If, if our thinking was so dominated by that God in the midst of a world where a lot of it doesn't make sense and, and things are clamoring to dominate us. Just imagine if God so dominated our thinking Go back to Psalm 128, please. Blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in obedience to him. And then in verses two through four, it gives the difference that that makes. You will eat the fruit of your labor. Blessings and prosperity will be yours. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Yes, this will be the blessing for the man who fears the Lord. I think the point of what it's saying is that that we will reap what we sow. We will eat the fruit of whether we fear the Lord or whether we don't fear the Lord. If we fear the Lord and walk in obedience to him, the fruit of our lives will illustrate that. In Romans 8, 6, it says the mind governed by the flesh. We could say the mind dominated by the flesh is death. But the mind governed or dominated by the Spirit of God is life and peace. Man, that is, those are true words. It says blessings. Back to Psalm 128, it says blessings and prosperity will be yours. I like the NLT, uh, New Living Translation, says how joyful and prosperous you will be. ESV says, you shall be blessed and it shall be well with you. But in what way? What, what, in what way will we be blessed and prosperous? I, I think I've confessed this before, but there's, there's not a lot of things that make me angry. Um, somebody stealing my donuts, that would make me angry. Injustice makes me angry. <laughs> uh, but on a totally different note, watching television preachers makes me angry. <laughs> uh, at least the, the prosperity gospel ones. <laughs> uh, who would read this, this psalm and they say, if you fear the Lord, you're going to be rich. At least they will become rich. <laughs> Uh, and your wife will have lots of kids and your kids are all going to obey and it's just going to be hunky-dory. Um, I think what we miss by those interpretations is, you know, back to Romans 8, 6, it says the, the mind dominated by the flesh is death, but the mind governed and dominated by the spirit is life and peace. We're talking about those who fear the Lord, those who are dominated by God thinking are going to be blessed as a result of that thinking. Um, does it mean financial success? That might mean financial poverty. Brothers and sisters in, in communist countries, by fearing the Lord, they lose everything except the joy of living in relationship with the God of the universe. Galatians 5.22 I think this is the fruit that's being talked about in 23. 
the fruit of the spirit, this is the fruit that comes, I think, from being a God-dominated person is love, joy, peace, forbearance or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's a blessed life, isn't it? <laughs> um, that's a blessed life. I think it's, it's speaking in Psalm 1 and 28 saying that if, if we men are such men or such husbands, our, our wives will thrive and be fruitful in the same way. They'll in the same way experience that same love and joy and peace and patience and kind of their lives will, be, will exude such God-dominated thing. Our kids will grow up in an environment, a godly environment an amazing environment that will provide spiritual nourishment, enabling them to grow up in the grace and the goodness of the Lord. We could ask, what would it look like for a wife and the impact she'd have on her husband or her children? A single person and the impact they'd have on, what does it mean for a person who's dominated? They're thinking by who God is. I think we're going to be individuals that the fruit of our lives are not going to be the fruit of when we allow other things to dominate us, the worries of life, the cares of life, the pleasures of life. And what ends up is fear. What's the fruit? Fear, anxiety, anger, bitterness, stress. Yes, verse 4, this will be the blessing for the man, the individual who fears the Lord. But too often other things crowd in and dominate our thinking, right? Uh, How am I going to meet these bills? How am I going to go back to this job? I can't stand one more time. The health diagnosis I got, a a friend that's dying. Um, As some of you already know, my life has been rocked in the past few days. Um, out of the blue, uh, dominated by a devastating cancer diagnosis. Um, given 18 months to live without treatment. Um, and a treatment that won't cure, but only might prolong my life. It's kind of like, bam. Bam. <laughs> um, Kind of made it pretty heavy there, didn't it? <laughs> um, kind of like my car accident many years ago, but but way more heavy. Lots of uncertainty, fears, tears, anxiety. Uh, what now? Uh, it's fighting to dominate the thinking of my family during the day and our our dreams at night. Um, but maybe there's something in your life. So often we get so overwhelmed by our own lives, we forget that probably the vast majority of us here this morning are, are faced by things that are dominating our lives. It might be your health or the health of a loved one or, or your finances or, or so many other things. How can our thinking be dominated by God and his life and peace 
the fruit of the Spirit rather than these other things. I'm not saying that these other things aren't important and shouldn't be important foci in our life, but the question is, is what dominates our lives? Um, How can we become God-dominated people, people who fear the Lord, and our lives are walked out in relationship to who he is rather than in, in light of the latest thing that has attacked us? How can we be people who fear the Lord? Three things just to, to conclude. The first is you can have an Isaac moment or like a Saul of Tarsus riding on your donkey to Damascus and bam, God just strikes you down. Uh, that's not up to us. That God can do that and, and God might do that. The second thing is, and this is the one I think that we can do something about, is to become individuals whose minds are governed by the Spirit, who minds that are set on God. Three verses just to leave you with. Second um, Corinthians. Notice says, though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with, they're not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds, meaning thoughts in our minds that are set up against the knowledge of who God is. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And we need a fight to do that. Taking captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Friday night, I didn't do a very good job of that. (laughs) I just wanted to hole away and have a pity party. Um, Instead of taking every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ and, and to God and who he is in the midst of what I'm going through. Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. It's so easy for us to drift to the other things, isn't it? These are the things that we're to think about. And then one more, Colossians 3, 1 and 2. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. That's our position. Those of us who are, who are his kids, children of God. And we're, we're, we're positioned with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, your affections, your emotions, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Are we setting our minds on things above? Fixing our eyes on Jesus, taking thoughts captive? Or are we letting our circumstances or the things that would push in and crush us, the things of the world to dictate what dominates our thinking and consequently our living? The third thing is, first is if God gives you an Isaac moment. The second is, setting our minds on things above. The third is surrounding ourselves with like-minded individuals. Uh, Others who will come alongside. And for me, just the last two weeks, I was thinking it's been incredible. When I preached two weeks ago, 
what I just shared with you was unknown. It's amazing how fast our worlds can, can cave in on us. Um, and yet in the last two weeks, how incredible it's been for me and us as a family to experience just the encouragement, the love um, of you all and others. Cindy, my wonderful wife, uh, passed on to me yesterday Psalm 27 for encouragement. And as I was reading it, uh, it struck me. It's, it's such a great psalm um, that I was going to make it my own. And so I did. I rewrote Psalm 27. Well, I didn't rewrite it. I, I, I inserted what was trying to dominate my thinking, cancer. <laughs> and 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 put it in this context. And I'd encourage you as you listen to this, as I conclude here, that if there's something trying to dominate your thinking, whatever it is, is an addiction or finances or health or relationship that's that's stealing your joy and the blessing of a dominated God thinking life and, and leading to taking away of your joy or fear or anxiety, um, rewrite it and put in in this psalm what you need to give to God also. Psalm 27. Jesus is my light and my salvation. What shall I fear? Jesus is the stronghold of my life. Of what shall I be afraid? I thought I would get through it better this time. Um, When cancer advances against me to devour me, it is my fear and my uncertainty that will stumble and fall. Though a terminal diagnosis besieges me, my heart will not fear. Though the statistics are all against me, even then I will be confident. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of anxiety, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the hopelessness that surrounds me. At his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God my Savior. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path despite my unknown future. Do not turn me over to the inevitability of my cancer. For a terrifying diagnosis rises up against me, spouting a hopeless future. But I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Let's pray.
Father, every one of us here this morning, whether we're being rocked right now by the unknown or uncertainty or fear or failure or whatever is striving to dominate our thinking and destroy the life and the peace that is ours in Jesus. Father, draw our hearts to things above. Set our eyes on you. Father, remind us of who you are, our God, our creator, sovereign, holy, righteous, compassionate, gracious, merciful God, Jesus. Open our eyes, help us to direct our thoughts. So our thoughts being dominated by you, Father, will free us and to, to lives of incredible love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control by your grace. Thank you for the incredible God that you are to us in the midst of the hard world that we can at times live in. In Jesus' name. Amen.